Welcome to Beyond Bitcoin, a podcast about all things digital assets, the global communities they are creating, the generations that are using and investing in them, and the challenges faced by the nations that are seeking to regulate them. The content of this program is not to be taken as investment advice. The opinions expressed in the program by the host and the guests are their personal opinions only. Remember, feel free to subscribe and share with like-minded friends. My name is Derek Graham. I'm the CEO of Portal Asset Management, and my co-host is Nitin Gower, Managing Director of State Street Digital Assets. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world, and welcome along to another episode of Beyond Bitcoin. My name is Derek Graham, and I'm here with my friend of colleague, Nitin Gower. Nitin, how are you? Hey, Derek. I'm good. Good to see you again. And I believe you're now in a different part of Asia than you were last week when we spoke. So tell I'm us where you are and what, you, what you're doing there. Yeah. yeah, so so I'm in Singapore today, and I'll be here for the rest of the week. The team at Hedge Weekly have kindly invited me to speak at their on their panel, their opening panel relating to the tokenization of real world assets, which of course is a very hot topic at the moment. And and the the Hedge Weekly is a great organisation because they bring together hedge fund managers with a focus this time around digital assets. And that means I get to see, you know, my friends and brethren in this space and portal asset management gets an opportunity to talk about what their belief of the path forward is for the space. And I get to learn about what other people are thinking also in regards to hedge funds. So this is you know, very good that such a group consistently brings forward, you know, thought leadership in this area for hedge funds versus venture capitalists. And so, yeah, it will be interesting. And at the same time, I've been asked to do an, an educational piece on tokenization of real estate here, which is really not what we do, but it is an interesting area. So it's worth doing. I wonder, Nitin, whether, whether a lot of people are thinking that digital assets, crypto assets have arrived at their destination as if to think the tokenization yeah. of real world assets is the destination of this technology. <laughs> You know, I, I, I've got to say, I don't think it is. I, I just think yeah. if, if we're on a train line, it's merely a stop at a station as, as it keeps going and it gains momentum behind it. What, what do you think? Yeah, no, no, absolutely. And I think this is the conversation we left off last time, Derek. This is all the conversation we were having at Chainlink is, yeah. what are we doing? Where are we in this journey? And what is the real destination? And I consistently were asked this question in many conversations over wine and over sort of sidebar conversation, Derek. And first of all, I would reiterate that some of the announcements at Chainlink was simply phenomenal in the same context of bridging the gap between the crypto ecosystem and the traditional world ecosystem. And one way to do that is to tokenization of real world assets, but also the other way is to be able to merge the older and with the new, you know, as a primary conversation. So I think the destination to me is when we begin to see, and this is something which Vitalik brought up in one of the things when we had the last crisis, crypto crisis, this is pre-FTX issues, is have we really achieved economic inclusion? Have we really achieved a faster payment through crypto ecosystem? Have we achieved the affordability of assets, you know, reduction and, and lowering the barriers to entry from the emerging economies into the overall Western hemisphere or the assets and, and vice versa. Uh, until we get to that point, I think it'll still be a continuous journey. It'll be a continuum. And you're in Singapore, which means that it's probably one of the few jurisdictions, Derek, 
if you get a chance to meet MAS and look at their sort of thinking and what they have done to energize the ecosystem, MAS done from Project Ubin to Project Guardian to Mariana. There have been many such projects that they have done to promote the if you know efficacy of technology. And I'm not saying efficiency because efficiency is something to make cheaper, faster, better. But efficacy is the right adequate use of resources to achieve the end goal in this case where they're saying, yes, it's going to cost us some money. It's going to cost us resources, but we have to continue doing experiments so we can understand to have much more favorable regulation than passing regulation for regulation sakes. So they've taken some of these sort of automated market makeup protocols or DeFi protocols and had controlled experiments to see what they can do with the real world assets. So as you're describing your journey, Derek, when you're tokenizing real world assets, can we subject them to the same level of efficiency and transparency that we do with, let's say, Uniswap or our way for borrowing and lending, for giving us you know, exchanges, which is not the case today. You can't really go to an exchange to sell your house. You need to find a buyer. There's a whole you know, ecosystem of brokers and sellers, and there's a cost associated with it. I think that to me is the end goal. So I'll stop here, Derek, and see if that if that resonates. It does. And also, I had a great opportunity last night to catch up with a very active member in Singapore, Chiru Seti, which Charu, of course, yeah. yeah, Charu, and she she was on our podcast way back, nearly two hundred episodes ago. And she's amazing. And we should back, bring her back. She for sure, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, we should bring it back. You're absolutely right. And of course, she's been really active in this realm of Polkadot and non-fungible tokens. And we discussed amongst many things, two and a half hour dinner that went in a blink. We discussed, you know, is our NFTs just finished? You know, should we just change the name of NFTs? You know, are all the all the functions and opportunities that non-fungible tokens were creating around the building of communities, the building of communities around artists and and creators and things like that, a real sort of the beckoning of Web 3.0, is, is it just suddenly gone? And and the answer to that is, well, of course it hasn't. There's just a lull in the entire market yeah. sense at the moment. And, and, and it's just there waiting for it to occur. And the other thing we spoke about too is the fact that we have to realize, and I'm hoping not far away, we might get our, our young friend that we met at the last conference right. here. We're chasing him down and he's 14 years of age and very active in this space because Nitin, he's the user of the future non-fungible tokens. He's the so guy. Do, we, do we need a clearance? He's minor. Do we need any sort of clearance to get him on, on the show? Or this is all. Yeah, I, I look, my VA is <laughs> handling it all and, and she's talking to him and then hopefully we'll get an A-OK from the dad. And once we've got all of that, okay. then he'll be on, we hope. That's but brilliant. the point is that he is the user of non-fungible tokens. He's the one that's in the Web3 environment. He's the one that's going to build around communities. He's the one that's building this NFT world. It's not it's not me, although I love the concept of it. It's it's not me. <laughs> and it's not it's not that age group. So we've got to realize when we look at this space, we often think, you know, it's not just today or the next six months. It's the generation that's coming. The generation C yeah. sometimes referred to as being the crypto generation or Gen Z that's coming to use it. And and of course we also spoke about the fact that the market is has dropped away in regards to in incoming investment funds and something you and I are going to talk about a bit today too. Yeah. And I'll tell you, Derek, I have spent some time, you're, you're, you use the word lull. That's exactly what it is in the sense that if you look at, I've looked at the geopolitical turmoils 
I've looked at global macro situation, which is this bunch of reports that we have this week from Bank of America and JP Morgan analysts talking about the relationship between, which we have done as well on this podcast, is relationship between stablecoin, which sort of inherits some of the global macro strengths and weaknesses bringing into crypto because it becomes a primary medium of exchange. So liquidity comes in when you have easy money, you know, monetary policies and liquidity leaves when monetary tightening happens, which is what we've seen over time. But this week I spent yes. more time, Derek, in looking into what's happening with bond oversales, what's happening with sort of, you know, Bitcoin halving. And I've, I've always believed that Bitcoin and Ether both represent a benchmark asset and address different spectrum of crypto asset classes. And are structurally important, in my opinion. I, as, again, I'll say it again. Bitcoin Ether are structurally important for crypto markets. And I begin to look at some of these nuggets of you know stuff that's happening in Ukraine and now the war in the Middle East and India-Canada challenges, yes. U.S.-China economic tension, the global macro situation. And, and it's just been all these actually have, interestingly enough, crypto has been a lot less volatile. There was a report by Keiko. And yes. that to me suggests that the asset class is either reaching maturity, which to your point, are we there yet? And if it's reached maturity, then yeah, that's right. what the hell <laughs> what the hell is that what we are here for? Or or experiencing a damp dampened activity, which is what my hope is that I don't think by any means the asset is mature. I I don't think we want the asset to mature. You could relate this to a dampened activity or or reduced demand for all the global macro and geopolitical reasons than than these things. So we should dive into it because I think it's an important part and love to hear what you're hearing at the hedge week, especially from a hedge fund perspective, as we've known that uh, a lot of funding has dried up in VC, VC funds as well. Yes, that's right. And at the same time, there's these counter discussions again, sort of counter arguments, counter views where we, we see you know, large purchases of, of Bitcoin from, from the team at MicroStrategy. And, and, you know, they've purchased nearly 5,400 of these Bitcoin. And we've also seen slight increases in inflows into the hedge investment world since July and some $78 million, but again, dominated by, by Bitcoin as if it, I wonder, I think the Bitcoin maximalists will be sort of saying, I told you so, we're the only token. But I actually totally disagree with that. You know, Bitcoin is digital gold and digital gold yeah. has a position to play in, in an economy, just like the economy that I'm looking at here in Singapore. It, gold plays a role here, but it's not, it doesn't feed you. It, it doesn't run the businesses. It, it doesn't create the technology. It doesn't build the communities. It has a community, but it doesn't build all the communities. It's it's the it's the likes of of Ethereum and Polkadot that build communities. And and so I just sense right now that the lull in the market is so great that these other these utility driven tokens that are actually builders of wealth and economies and communities yeah. are just getting overlooked. And the focus is on is, is on Bitcoin. And we know that because yeah. recently I read a stat saying that that over 80% of all hedge funds in this space that have invested in this space have a large holding in Bitcoin and ETH and, and sometimes just dominant holding in Bitcoin and ETH, which yeah. means that that there's very little holding in the remainder, you know, hundreds of tokens. Yeah. yeah. Mm. yeah. 
Yeah. No, I, I think you're absolutely right, Derek. In fact, we ourselves, when we spoke last time, we looked at the top 30 or 40 different funds. This includes the Bitwise and the Vanek and all the sort of people who have also filed for ETFs. They all have their own sort of fund. Spentera Capital, for example, has their own fund. And if you look at many of these funds, Bitcoin and ETH are the lion's share, in some cases, 80, 90%. Yeah. And you have the other top five, top 10, top 20, depending on if it's a 30 index or you know, you know, any of the, you know, of the other asset classes represent a minority stake one or 2%. And I'm just thinking, are we all, you know, sort of backing our fortune with two assets where the industry is supposed to be reflective of a large asset? And one complaint I have with NFTs, which as you know, Derek, I've been talking about NFTs for about eight years. So it's been this space for such a long time that NFT still has not delivered the IP value. You know, if you're looking at IP, mm. right, generally the mm. construct of this, you know, the board ape phenomenon to sort of stony, you know, stoner cats, which was a video and gives you access to digital rights management to say, if you have a token, you should be able to. I don't think NFTs have delivered any of that stuff. So perhaps when we bring Charu next time, we should probably get an update on the NFT ecosystem to say, hey, is that really delivering true value? Is it actually enabling artists? Is it enabling digital artists? Are they truly sort of fulfilling the promise that we had envisioned when NFTs were introduced in terms of royalties, in terms of cutting out the middleman, having visibility of the utility of these NFTs? I think it'll be great to 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 keep an eye on that. And, and I think the, the NFT reflection of its, you know, it's probably lack of utilization in comparison to what our aspirations were at this time in history, you know, is is reflected also in a lot of the utility tokens that have been created, you know, decentralized finance tokens are in sure. operation, and they're working, but they're not dominating the world's position. I wonder whether the attack on the asset class, the heavily regulation of the asset yeah. class is is really playing a role all the way down to to you know the the tokenizing of a community that in, gets engaged oh. around an artist and 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 I think it I think it has I think the role that the SCC has played in attacking the community has been enormously detrimental to it I, I don't think it'll stop it and I think <clears throat> I think it'll just simply move the intellectual property and capabilities to other countries as we talked about with token 2049 and 10,000 people here in Singapore and the buzz that was, was associated with with that and and the, the work that's getting done here what we're seeing is at the moment the intellectual property leaving the US and and these these areas that are that are forcing regulation upon it i i i, I often reply back to Gary Gensler on the twitter account i, I can't help <laughs> myself knitting i'm sorry i just <laughs> and and i always send him little notes going dear gary thank you so much for the good work you're doing here in asia it's booming all of the technology is leaving america and it's your great work that's doing it and from australia and asia we just want to send our thanks no i would say i would say that gary has probably pushed the industry mm-hmm. to innovate and get creative to a point, to a breaking point. But he's done, history will tell us if, how much he's done, but I think he's done a lot for the industry, for the industry to think and challenge the status quo. But one thing you're definitely right about, Derek, is the crypto markets generally are and continue to be highly sensitive to the US regulatory developments, both positive mm-hmm. and negative. 
So every time there's a bill that's passed or like this week alone, as you know, we had this political debacle where the Speaker of the House, who's like number three in line in terms of hierarchy, was ousted and they had an interim Speaker of the House, which both, you know, entities are considered pro-crypto. So that has given the crypto markets a lift to say, hey, if all this becomes real or if the entire messaging from the Congress to Gary Gensler to approve some of the ETFs, which was a lowest hanging fruit. Those were those were the things we were positive. And of course, they're all negative from, from, you know, from regulatory perspective or some of the other Congress. So that's one data point. Second data point, I think, is the institutions, the more traditional asset managers, the Black Rocks of the world, are exploring and engaging the entire element of ETF ecosystem. As you know, there are 37 spot ETFs applications, and some of them are futures, but they're exploring. They're not in this sort of uh, all-in phase, if I can use that term. So, which means they're still hedging their bet against the regulatory sort of, you know, lack of clarity. And I think that's one, another area which I think is impacting the both VC and hedge fund, try, you know, drawing up in resources. But we see some evidence where you are today, Southeast Asia and Singapore, Leading edge, right? London is talking now about a lot of Mika-like, you know, which is was passed in Europe, passing Mika-like regulation in Europe. Dubai is emerging consistently, as you know, Token Forty Nine is only now in Dubai and Singapore. So U.S. is lagging behind the rest of the world and the global markets that we operate in, especially with crypto. It's very easy to move fund talent allocation to the countries that are more receptive. To this, mm-hmm. their business can flourish, and at least they have some clarity on what they can do and what they cannot. So yeah. it's not just about tokens, Derek. It's about sales and marketing and product and talent and technology. These are individuals and humans who are working on building these projects. It's about them too, right? Correct. So you're absolutely right about about your observation, uh, Derek. Yeah. The other thing is that you know they say you build in a bear market. And that's what we're seeing around the place. You know, the, the, the great companies are developing great solutions during this bear market period. We at Portal Asset Management, of course, have been, you know, finishing off our two-year development of Pathfinder, which is this extraordinary quant program analyzing the various tokenomics, macroeconomics, and essentially targeting, you know, the best of investment tokens. And all of that works very well during this bear market. Our focus is on building things and we're not the only one that's doing that. You know, last night talking with Cheru, I mean, the focus of, of a polka dot is building. They're building yeah. the next platforms. They're trying to determine how to make the, the process of creating NFTs no longer technical so that it becomes just a user methodology and that, that people can get a good user experience out of it. I hope that we're seeing that in every company, but I certainly know that a lot of good companies that have got a possession of of longevity here, able to focus their time and effort on building. And and I know that's what you're doing too. And you're you're constantly building and learning, you know, both with working with the regulators and and building your connections through this period of time. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's why I think the last week's event in Barcelona, Chainlink announced, of course, CCIP, which is a protocol that's trying to interoperate between the old world and the new world, the messaging and the tokenization world. They'll introduce a few things called Chainlink function or Chainlink automation. And the idea is you can trigger events. So you know how there are there are things happening in the real world with global macro. 
And so what I think, and we should probably bring Petros to expand on the genius of Pathfinder, which is trying to straddle between the global macro and crypto macro, which I think is just nothing short of brilliant of the work that Petros has done, you know, for, for you guys. I think we should bring him on at some point, but in the same thematic sense, Derek, while you're crunching numbers and figuring out relationships and correlations between the the intricate dance of monetary policy and liquidity patterns and yes. mo- you know market volatility, which is essentially global macro and tying into the volatility in crypto space, that is truly data science and and applying technology to understand and make sense of the world around it. Similarly, uh, the builders is trying to figure out is if you truly want to build a tokenized world, that has to coexist with the real world as is. So how do I provide the interconnectedness of events that happen in one world? And it reflects the event that should trigger in the other world. So if some events happen, whether it's weather patterns or whether it's insurance claims, can I do yes. a payout because of those events? So the some of these building that's happening is to bridge those gaps, which I think is very profound mm-hmm. on the long run, Derek, which will only make this industry better from a real world asset perspective as well. I think. Yeah, no, totally agree. You know, the, the, as, as someone said to me the other day, the future is so bright in this space, I have to wear sunglasses to work every day. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> um, and we, we shouldn't lose track of the fact that the future is extraordinary in this space. And there's no question that, yeah. the, that the tokenization of so many of these methodologies of bringing community together is going to cause you know, a, quite a global disruption. The challenge on the way sure. is that the big, you know, the, 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 the larger corporations and certainly the governments of the world have to work out how they can cope with what might be a sharing of power or an opening of opportunity for transactions to occur globally without them controlling it all. And, and that is that is a systems and processes that they've built over 100 years. And it's not going to suddenly disappear in the next 24 months, which is a pity. It'd be nice if some of it did. Um, But in fact, you've often said, although the community is extraordinary, the community that is here in crypto, you can't transfer $468 trillion of assets onto a $1 trillion platform and expect it to work. It's not going to. It has to grow. No, absolutely. And Derek, the, even that industry, like even the crypto industry, which is dominated by Bitcoin and Ether, a lot of things happen, which I think we should we should observe and, and comment on it next week. That for the first time or after a long time, Bitcoin has reached to its 50% dominance of the overall crypto market. So Ethereum, of course, have lost. And there have been a lot of reports, again, from traditional analysts. And we should mm-hmm. dissect those and what it means for the industry. Yes. Uh, some of these are significant movements, both for the upside for Bitcoin and downside for Ethereum. And there are reasons why these things are happening, especially if you start looking at, as you rightly suggested, that if Bitcoin is a is truly liquid gold or digital gold, then is, is that viewed as a true vehicle, as a store of value in this massive geopolitical turmoil that we're going through at the moment? Is that the reason mm-hmm. that it is the demand? Or is the centralization of Ethereum that's causing sort of people to question its longevity? And that's so we should we should introspect these things, which, again, is the fun part of our job to look into this, because they don't behave like traditional gold, traditional assets, because things change at a global level and and they begin to behave differently, which I think makes it more fun and interesting to be in the space. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, what's happening with Ethereum is 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 fascinating. And and it, it's not quite to plan, is it, Nitin? 
It's not. And, you know, we we had talked about this pre-merge and pre-move to proof of stake. And what does it mean? I actually had opined aggressively on this uh, at the risk of not being attacked by the maxi community who don't want to hear anything negative about a specific project. It's to simple economics and how this will end from proof of work to proof of stake. And and it'll it'll be only be interesting to see as to how that centralization, which technically doesn't change the behaviors of transition per second and all the things that we look at from a mechanical transaction processing perspective, but it does risk the asset and the ecosystem that's that has been thriving in terms of the fact that what happens when two of the four dominant stakers are impacted, whether it's government action or whether it's you know some sort of technical failure, uh, that could risk the entire community. So I think it'll be a great textbook exercise to to look at the transition like countries go through because we have equated these layer one protocols to nation state status at some point. So that'll, that'll be an interesting study as well, Derek. Yeah, very much so. All right. Well, look, I think there's so much more to see what's going to happen yes. over the next week. I, I I can't wait to to maybe become a little disruptive. I'm not sure how Hedge Weekly goes. Uh, I, I just want to be able to share with them that tokenization of real world assets is another extraordinary chapter in this space. But it's just a chapter. It's not the destination. And, and I think there's tremendous opportunity to be had here. And I, I sense that that is the space that the likes of BlackRock and Fidelity and FT are wanting to get involved with. Because if you can yeah. tokenize a whole lot of illiquid assets and trade them, these guys who are the intermediary traders should be hugely benefited from it. And, and I think that's why there's a lot of motivational discussion about tokenizing real world assets, because the centralized transactors of them will want to be there. But at the same time, if you've got a centralized exchange that's costing you X to transact from A to B, and you can run it on a decentralized exchange, a DEX, where you simply swap it instantly peer to peer, ultimately, those centralized exchanges may well face competitors in the form of algorithm-driven exchanges. So the whole process of tokenizing to centralized systems and then to decentralized systems, I think is going to yeah. be a typical path of, of the evolution of efficiency and, and effectiveness of transacting assets. But again, this is the fifth asset class of the world now, the newest asset class in the world. It is only going to get bigger and bigger and bigger as it starts absorbing the tokenization of intellectual property and the tokenization of, of real world assets. So the sure. future's so bright. I've got to wear sunglasses every day. Sunglasses. To come to work. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, great, Derek. <laughs> All right. Take care. Good chatting and see you next week. Good on you. See you in it and bye for now. All right. We hope you enjoyed our weekly conversation. If you have any questions, comments, or suggested topics, please contact Nitin Gower or myself on the emails displayed here or via our LinkedIn profiles. Feel free to subscribe and share with like-minded friends. Stay well, inquisitive and engaged. See you next week.